0: My grandmother was born, raised in Charleston, South Carolina, Before she married my grandfather, who was from West Virginia, and he took her up to Ohio, then West Virginia, finally compromised by living in Zeblin, uh, between Charleston and West Virginia. Uh, So Zeblin is a compromise, uh, for those of you who may live there, Uh, but uh, as having a grandmother from the South... uh, There were certain benefits to that, especially in the culinary arts, was taught many ways and and, and fed many good southern diets, Uh, learned early on what grits were, and boiled peanuts, and all the other great things that that come uh, with that. But my grandmother, it was fascinating, she she was very much influenced by the Civil War, or as uh, the war, as some of her family would call it, the War of Northern aggression. And uh, there, some of you who have uh, have roots here in the South or family here in the South may have felt some of this and heard some of these things also growing up. Uh, you know, there's still a word that uh, if you said it, uh, that would produce a well, a fear, a hateful animosity effect. It is the word Sherman. If you just state that name. It has an effect on uh, folks uh, that may have been born and raised down south. Uh, He is the one that uh, many uh, historians credit as introducing total warfare into the Civil War. I don't think that he was the author of it. That was done long, long before. Uh, But nonetheless, he brought it to the Civil War. Uh, And it uh, started going down from Tennessee down to Atlanta, Destroying Atlanta, burning Atlanta, uh, then swinging over to Savannah, where he was a little bit more merciful, then coming up into Columbia, South Carolina, where he uh, attacked with new vigor this state that was first in the succession of the Civil War, uh, destroying Columbia, and finally coming up its way to North Carolina. It was here in North Carolina where he heard of Lincoln's assassination, as well, of course, of the surrender of Lee at Appomattox. In fact, it was Johnston County where he heard uh, about uh, the assassination of Lincoln, making his way through Raleigh, uh, and then finally having the surrender of Johnston in Durham at the Bennett Place. Uh, many folks here in the South still have lingering effects of his, what was called, total warfare. The, the definition is that you no longer bring war to the soldiers, those who are pledged to the cause, but you also bring warfare to the citizens, uh, to the civilians, to the, the crops, to the land. After the fall of Atlanta, Sherman ordered the city's evacuation. The city council appealed to him and to rescind that order on the grounds that it caused hardship to the women, the children, the elderly, and others who bore no responsibility for the conduct of the war. Sherman said a response in which he sought to articulate his conviction that a lasting peace would be possible only if the union restored and that he was prepared to do all he could to quash the rebellion, implying total warfare. This is the letter that he wrote. He says, you cannot qualify war in harsher terms than I will. War is cruelty and you cannot refine it. And Those who brought war into our country deserve all the curses and maledictions of people can pour out. I know I had no hand in making this war, and I know I will make more sacrifices today than any of you to secure peace. But you cannot have peace in a division of our country. If the United States submits to a division now, it will not stop, but will go on until we reap the fate of Mexico, which is eternal war. I want peace and believe it can only be reached through union and war, and I will ever conduct war with a view to perfect and early success. But, my dear sirs, when peace does come, you may call on me for anything." Then will I share with you the last cracker and watch with you to shield your homes and families against danger from every quarter. But what was implied until that point, I will wage war everywhere I go. I want you to understand that though you and I may not be involved as soldiers in an act of warfare, as I read the Bible, it does present that every single one of you are involved in total warfare. A total warfare that is not done between mankind. Our war, as is maybe popular espoused in this day and time, is not between the Republicans and Democrats. It is not between pro-life and pro-choice or or pro-abortion. It is not between uh, the homosexual agenda and those who are maintaining marriage. It is not between these individuals. It is not between the Mormons and the Baptists or the Uh, christians and the muslims it is not between these people but as scripture says in ephesians chapter six that there is a total war that is going on in a spiritual dimension that is not between between faces but between spiritual powers and rest assured that what is at stake is your own soul your own body your mind that of your children and that of your parents it is total in its nature We get a picture of that in Genesis chapter 19. Every once in a while the word of God comes and gives us a glimpse as to what this war entails. And I rest, I wish that every one of you would understand that you leave here engaged in war. And I'm afraid too many of us have a polite notion of what this spiritual warfare is. And we believe that there are limits to the effects of sin In our life, rest assured, sin will not rest until it destroys your soul and that of your children, that of your family, and all those that you hold dear. Instead, we often say, well, I will hold on to some degrees of sin. Yes, I know what the Bible says. I know what the pastor may say about these things. But I am in control, and I will take care of these things. It provides me a little bit of comfort, a little bit of joy, just a little bit of satisfaction in my life when I give up so much. Can I not have my indulgences in my sins? We don't call them sins. We call them hobbies. We call them side subjects, Uh, but they are our pet sins. But listen, you need to understand that sin is something like a grimmel that will destroy your life. If we have any doubts about this, I want to present to you Genesis chapter 19. It is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is the next series as we have done our study in Genesis. Sodom and Gomorrah has been known and associated now with homosexuality. In fact, we have sodomy laws that harken back to this city that entails homosexuality. Homosexuality is prevalent in this city. And is given to us in Genesis chapter 19. But it is not necessarily the root cause of the destruction. It is symptomatic. It is symptomatic of a society that is judged by God. uh, But it is more than just homosexuality. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49, 50 talks a little bit more about what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is. Let me read that to you. It says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her had pride, fullness of food. Abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination, a word usually referred to sexual immorality, especially in chapter 16 of Ezekiel. They were halting, committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they were blessed with abundance. They were prideful. They were idle. And they did not help those who were weak, did not help those who were poor. And they continued in their sexual immorality before God. Listen, that is not a stretch to describe the country you and I live in. Has there been any other country blessed more than America? And yet now there is a pride, there is an arrogance, and if we are not careful, there is such a self-centered, consumer, materialistic mentality that we say to the world and we say to the others, forget you, I've got something more important to have for myself and the immorality that comes with it. So we do not, listen, we do not go with harshness on Sodom and Gomorrah without first understanding who we are as a country, as a human being in America, as we approach this chapter. There is so much, so much that I can say about the nature of sin as defined, uh, as we find in Sodom and Gomorrah that applies to us today. I fear and now I know after the first service, I will not be able to share with you all that is here. I will have to rest on another Wednesday night, maybe a couple Wednesdays, to talk more about this uh, subject and this text. But I will try my best to do what uh, what can be given, and I pray the Lord will use it to speak to your heart. And so, let's first begin, as we look at the nature of sin, by reading the text itself. As we we'll read together, I ask that we honor this passage, this word of God, by standing as we read it together. Genesis chapter 19. There came two angels to Sodom at evening. Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, unto your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, No, we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, could pass the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we might know them. Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brother, do not do so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man, Let me, I pray you, bring them unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore come they under the shadow of my roof. They said, stand back. They said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. They smote the man that were at the door of the house with blindness small and great. So that they worried them, themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot. Hast thou here any besides? Son of law and thy sons, thy daughters. And whatsoever thou hast in the city. Bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place. Because the cry of them was waxing or growing grown great. Before the face of the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke unto his sons-in-law. Which married his daughters. And said up. Get you out of this place. For the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. When the morning rose. Then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take the wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the man laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, Lord being merciful unto them, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. It came to pass when they brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee; Neither stay the owl and all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified the mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. It is not a little one, and my soul shall live. And he said unto them, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow the city for the which thou hast spoken. Hast they, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become hither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. The Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he ever threw those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities, that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and behold, lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and He dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. The firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father." They made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she rose. It came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. They made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger rose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were born both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger also she shall bear a son and call his name Ben-Ami, the same as the father of children of Ammon unto this day. You may be seated. <laughs> After reading this chapter, common responses, Ew. and I could say all God's people said, When we read the nature of sin, we see what devastating results it brought. The first thing I want to bring out in sin's nature is the curse to us right here in the first verse. When we see where Lot's at, there's something hidden that if you had read all the way from Genesis 13 to 19, like those of us who've been with us faithfully have heard, As we studied, going chapter by chapter, we're starting to see there is a progression to sin. First attribute you need to know about sin is that there is a progression. Sin's progression. Let me illustrate this or bring it out to you. What is the progression of sin? First, as we came across Lot in chapter 13, verse 10, Abraham and Lot came to the point where they needed to make a decision. Their possessions were too great. They could not stay in one land. And so Abraham had said to Lot, wherever you choose, a very other-centered perspective. He understood that he was there temporal, and so it didn't matter one way or the other. And so he said, Lot, whatever you choose. And the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 10, that Lot looked toward Sodom. This was the Jordan Valley. It was a rich, fertile area. He said, I want to go there. And so not only did he look toward Sodom, We find in a couple verses, chapter 13, verse 12, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He's in the peripheral. He's hanging out. He's still in a tent there next to Sodom. But now in chapter 14, verse 12, as we read, folks come in and take over Sodom, capture people. We find in chapter 14, verse 12, no longer is Lot in a tent toward Sodom. Now he is living in Sodom. Sodom and he becomes part of the the capture the refugees that Abraham rescued it should have been a warning to Lot and now as we come to verse 1 not only is he living in the tent the Bible says that Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom the gates of a city was the place of governance it was the place of judgment if you wanted a matter to be settled you went to the gates of the city what is it implied that Lot was in the gates of the city He is now a leader in this city. Perhaps it was done because his relative was the one who rescued the city, Abraham. Perhaps thought, you know what? We need to recognize this man. He has an influence. Let's put him as a leader. We don't know what it was, but for whatever reasons, he's gone from looking. He's gone from uh, pitching his tent nearby. He's gone to living in. Now he is leading in this city. It is a city of known immorality, as the Bible says, and we find in this chapter that the cries of the victims in the city was going up to meet the ears of God. Uh, anthropo- kind of a man speak for that, uh, of God not literally having ears, but as a way of saying God recognized the sin of the city. Now, Lot is leading in it. There is a progression. You need to understand that when sin enters your life, it will take you somewhere. It does not just stay content in a little corner of your life. Sometimes we think we can do that. I remember one time my parents caught me in sin as a teenager and they were warning me. It, was, it had gone past the stage of where spankings just didn't work. Now they needed to warn me and teach me and try to train, train me. It was up to me whether I was going to obey or not. And they said, You cannot master sin. You cannot control it. You must teach, uh, view it as a snake in a room that you are far away from, because it does not just stay there, it will conquer you. I never forgot that lesson. And there are momentary lapses in my life, but by the grace of God, that truth always comes back to my mind that if I continue in this sin and think that I will control this and keep it segmented to one section of my life, I am a fool. It will not do so. You see, every sin that you do changes your heart just a little bit. Just a little bit. Growing up, we had a garden in our house, and uh, we were you know raised tomatoes and other things, and kept me busy. And our neighbor had chickens, and Dad had the great idea. You know, these chickens can be a help to us. Maybe we can talk to our neighbor. They they need something to do with all that chicken manure. Let's take the chicken manure and put it on our garden. After all, manure is supposed to be something that enriches the soil, so that our fruit will grow, our vegetables will grow better. Great idea in theory. The only problem was we did not know what those chickens had been eaten. When we spread the manure on our garden, we had weeds like we had never known before all throughout our garden. And what we thought we were doing to enrich the soil only instead enriched it toward weeds. Friends, you need to understand that sin is like that. You think it's just a momentary habit. It's not hurting anybody. It's just a mental thing that you're doing. Friends, it is enriching your heart for greater sin. And there is a progression that will take place as your heart slowly twists with every sinful thing. It always starts in your brain. It starts in your mind. That is the battleground. But it's not content to stay there. It will consume your spirit. And it will go outward, and it will destroy you. There is a progression, as we'll see, throughout this story. Now, Lot gives these two men, turning out to be angels, hospitality. There is an obvious contrast between this previous chapter... And 18, when Abraham hosts these two angels and God himself, I believe Jesus Christ, in pre-incarnate form. And there Abraham has an intimate moment. And we find that these two men leave on, leave off, and go to Sodom. While God, through Jesus Christ, is having a moment with Abraham. And he is interceding before uh, God to Lot and to Sodom. So these two men are there. There's hospitality giving, uh, not to the feast, the caliber that Abraham gives. It's unleavened bread. But we find, as we keep on reading, that uh, as there is supposed to be bedtime, verse 2, we find that instead folks come up to meet him who want to uh, attack him. Not in verse 2, but as we keep on reading, verse 6. Lot knows good and well what would happen if they stay in the city. He has them here. Verse 7. Notice, as we read this passage, that there is a huge crowd. We see this in verse 4. Old and young. People from every quarter surround the house. This is the grandpa and this is the grandson. The young boy and the old man. Multi generational in its effect sin. And they all come, the grandpas and the grandsons, and surround the house, so that there is no point of escape. And they call to Lot, Where are the men you came to who came to unite? Bring them out to us that we may know them, as one translation says, carnally, know them. In Genesis, you find this phrase, know them, repeated, most of the time it's referring to a sexual intimacy in the book of Genesis. In the Old Testament, you'll find various meanings to just knowing somebody. But when you got to define the word by the context, those who are of a homosexual persuasion or are trying to read the scriptures to say that it's supportive of homosexual behavior will say, this is talking about hospitality. And the sin here is a sin of hospitality, of, of not being hospital. The problem is the context says that's not the way you interpret this passage. Make no mistake, they want to know them in a sexual manner. And what we're talking about here is rape. So Lot comes out to the doorway, shuts the door behind him. Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Lot knows what he's talking about. And then we we're struck with verse 8. We're starting to see that the Bible says, the Bible says Lot was a righteous man in Second Peter. And we really, if it wasn't for that, we would really wonder. Because how do you reconcile that statement with what is about to be had here? As a father, he says to this crowd, please, my brother, do not do so wickedly. In other words, there is a sense of hospitality that you protect those who come to your house but even though knowing that ancient custom and culture still does not reconcile what's being said here. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they've come under the shadow of my roof. He offers up his daughters. In hopes of trying to avoid a sin, he commits another sin and thus trying to justify it all. Perhaps he had had a persuasion of morality that runs away when it's impractical. And now it's an emergency situation. He's jettisoned some of the morality that he's having with his daughters. And as a father himself, I think you have here a heart that is calloused. Calloused in its sin. That is the danger of living among sin, that we let it into our hearts so much so that we get callous. We see the nature of the progression that's taken place in his life. It does not just impact him. It impacts others as well, the ones that he loves and his daughters. And he said, stand back. We see sin's progression. We'll see it throughout. We're going to see a little bit about sin's morality. Sin has a morality, you know. There, there is something that they say you should and should not do even, as, even though you are dominated by sin. Notice what these who are saturated in sin stay state. Stand back. This one came in to stay here now about 20 years. He keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Sin's morality is whatever you do, do not judge me. I will follow the impulse of my heart. And who are you? Who are you to speak against the direction of my life? One of the most often quoted verses of the Bible is is one that Jesus says: do not judge others lest you be judged. And that is one of the most quoted verses nowadays. It's convenient when you have something worth being judged over to state that. Jesus, in that same statement, said, look, if you have a beam in your eye, remove the beam out of your eye before you start working on the speck in someone else's. That does not mean that you stop working on the speck in someone else's. That means you consider yourself... And you examine your heart. You confess your sin. And you do so in humility as you approach someone else. It does not mean that we do not approach others. Why? Because sin has a price. And anyone who loves someone will understand the price of sin and see the end of their behavior. I remember growing up, my father always said to me, don't go out in the sun. Yeah, as a young person, you always think, oh, it looks good to be a tan. It's fit. It's more attractive. You know, don't put on sunscreen. Dad said, you know, you do that, you get the sun cancer. I heard it every time. I said, okay, Dad, that's just because you get sun poison if you just see the sun. You know, and that was my thought. I was like, you know, I just didn't listen to him. And it's, it's funny how when you turn 33 and 34, like I'm about to do, and you start seeing the effect of sun. What you, you want to go out in the sun because you thought it made you look good. When you're 33 and 34, you realize that sun didn't ma- doesn't make you look good anymore. You start seeing sunspots on your skin. You think, where does this come from? You start seeing wrinkles around the, your eyes. think, oh, man, you know. All of a sudden, it's starting to astound... A lot more wise to hear what dad had to say. The problem is, is that we are blind in our sun. Even as you're out in the sun, you lose the effect of what the sun does. You can't even see. You think you're tan. You're really just a red lobster. You don't even know it because you've been out in the sun so much. It has that blinding effect in our life. Friends, same too with sin. And the, and the sad truth of it is, is I'm going to talk to some of you young folks. And I'm telling you this. And you're going to say, oh, yeah, well, he's just an old man. And you won't change your behavior. I know, because I did the same thing. It has a blinding effect on your life. Sin has that same role in our life. It is a progression that occurs, and we have a sin's morality morality that justifies what we do to our own destruction. But notice, notice as we keep on reading, verse 10, they pressed hard against the man Lot. In other words, we are going to uh, do to you, we will rape you as we will do to them and do it worse. Verse 10, Lot's trying to save the men, and it finds out that these men save him. The men reached out their hands and pulled Lot to the house with them and shut the door. Now we're about to get an idea of the blindness of sin. There's a blinding effect to it. We've seen sin's progression. We've seen sin's morality. Now we're going to see sin's blindness. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. It is at this moment, Lot gets an idea of who these two strangers are. These are not just strangers. They are agents of God. Just picture this. Grandsons, grandfathers out there trying to rape these men. As they're doing that, they get blind. One person says, I can't see anything. What's happened? I can't see anything. You too? We can't. And you can hear the chorus of everybody getting blind. That would be a good clue right then that God is at work. They don't get it. Why? Because sin has made them blind. You would think this would be a good time to repent. To fall on your knees and say, God, you're giving us judgment. But what do you see instead? Does the blindness hinder them? Yes, but it's not for lack of trying. Notice. Do you get that last phrase? But small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. They kept pursuing these men. Despite being blind, it did not stop them. What is blindness? Blindness is, is to say that they are immune To the correcting, punishing hand of God, there is a point where they have gotten to so blind in their sin that though God corrects them, they no longer see it and they are blind to their desires and to their heart of what they want to do and they think nothing else about what they want to do, though they are enduring the correcting hand of God. Now listen, I want you to stop thinking about that person that really needs to hear this sermon. Some of you are thinking, boy, that explains that person. I wish they'd hear this thing. Let me just tell you, that strain of thought is a classic tactic of someone who is blind to their own sin. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to me. Sin is can blind us. I pray that as I teach on this subject, that God, by your Holy Spirit, because it's only going to be through Him, will open up your heart and your eyes to whatever it is that's in your life that you're blind to. Whether it's coveting over things or people, whether it's an ungrateful spirit, a bitter spirit that you may have towards someone or something, or maybe it's a complaining attitude, Or maybe there's a lustful, fanciful imagination through the things that you read, through the things that you see and the way that you look at people. Maybe there's a coveting after money and living for these things or for stature or a prominence in your society. What is it? Maybe it's a sense of fashion that has become the the dictator of your heart. There are things in your life, the things in my life, that if we leave unchecked, will dominate our heart and rule us. Sin is not content to be a side hobby. It will either be the master of your life or not at all. There are two masters. You will live under the mastery of Jesus Christ, or the tyranny of sin. It is not good enough to just allow sin to exist in the sides of your heart, in the sides of your life. It will not be content there. As it exists, it will dominate. God gave a warning to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Beware, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. What does that mean? It wants to dominate you. Jesus said to Peter, beware, sin wants, Satan wants to sift you. Watch and pray. Bible says in 1 Peter that Satan is roaming about like a wandering lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not just influence a little bit, but to devour. There's a blindness involved in this sin. So we'll keep on reading. He says to the men, get your family. He says to the like, get your family, get all of them, get them out. Take him out of this place. We will destroy this place. Because the outcry against it has grown great before the face of the Lord. And so Lot went out, spoke to his sons-in-law, married his daughters, and said, Get up. Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. It is at this moment in time he is engaged in evangelistic activity and mission activity like he's never done in his life. All night, he's pleading with them. But here, we see sin's sense of humor. Notice, but his sons-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. Why did Lot seem to be as he was joking to his sons-in-law? Perhaps, maybe it was a consistency of silence before his sons-in-law. All of a sudden, Lot started talking about the judgment of God. Oh, you know, Lot, what's wrong with you, man? You, you never talked about this stuff like this before. This is just crazy. You talk, you're talking, and it was as if he was joking. I was like, "That's a good one, Lot. That's a good one." Sin would have us laugh at the judgment of God upon it. Sin would have us laugh upon the judgment of God upon it. I was convicted of this. I was watching the office TV show. It has a humor that makes me laugh often. One of the shows it was talking about homosexuality. Isn't it funny that almost all the well no, it's not It's not funny that all of the humor in sitcoms today is usually revolved around sinning. I was joking about having a gaydar. And I laughed about the whole scene that hit on me. This is about homosexuality. Why is it it seems like seventy to eighty percent of, of laughter involving sitcoms is usually about homosexuality? Could it be that Satan knows that we cannot take seriously that which we laugh at? For those who are 13 and 14-year-olds and under, Ellen DeGeneres is a funny talk show host. For those of us who are older, we know that she is the woman who pioneered homosexuality in sitcoms and was a miserable failure when she introduced it. Now she's a great success. What's the difference? Has the word of God changed? No. But our calloused hearts have Sin's humor. We keep on reading. We find the sin that is in Lot's life. Sin's stubbornness. Verse 16. They're trying to get Lot to hurry. Get out of here. Take your wife, your two daughters here. You're going to have to give up on your other daughters and their husbands. You're going to have to get out of here. Verse 16. And while he lingered. God had to literally drag him by his hands. And the hands of his wife, the hands of his daughters... Why did he linger? Sodom's, Sodom's unbelief was predictable. Lot's res, resistance, reluctance is incredible. Why did he hesitate? Perhaps maybe he was not convinced of the certainty and severity of the judgment. Perhaps maybe he was hoping for delay. Maybe he was so attached to this present world, and he could not bear to leave. For whatever reasons they were there, he was stubborn, not wanting to leave. And God had literally drag him out verse 17 they get out and they say escape for your life get out of the city of these plains do not look behind you go to the mountains lest it be destroyed lot he says please know my lord if your servant has found favor in your sight increase your mercy which you shown me by saving my life I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die see how blind he is guess what's going to happen if he stays He's going to have the punishment of God on him. He doesn't see it. He's blind to it. It's in his own life, and there's a stubbornness there. He says, And he says, you know, can't you just give me this one little city, Zoar? Zoar literally means small. He says, just give me this one little one, verse 20. This little one, please let me escape. There, my just and my soul shall live. Friends, beware of that. We say to God, God, I understand what you are saying about these sins, but this is just a little sin. Can I not let it re- reside in this city? It's not going to be that big a deal. It's just a small sin. Lot gets convicted of that later on when he realizes how sin gets punished. God says, "Fine, get there." I will not have the judgment of God come down until you are there. So, we keep on reading. Verse 25. He overthrew their cities, all the plains and inhabitants of the cities, what grew on the ground. Sin's judgment. Verse 26. We see how sin is saturated into the family of Lot. 26. But his wife looked back. She became a pillar of salt. What was the problem here? Well, One, God expressly told them not to look back. Why would she look back? Was it merely curiosity that drew her? Seeing the judgment of God? Maybe it was, well, you know, this was her home for 20 years. These were her daughters. These was the furnishings of our house where babies and children were raised. Friends, Scripture makes clear that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. Jesus said, if you love your father, your mother, your children, your wife, your husband, before me, you cannot be my disciple. Here you have it demonstrated. What happens when you have a lingering Look, and it's not just a glance. This word entails an intense gaze, not just a passing glance. Sends saturation into his family. What started with Lot just saying, you know what? That would be a really nice place to live. It'd be good for me. It'd be good economically. Now all of a sudden, because of the selfishness of that decision, has progressed to the point where he's lost everyone in his family except two girls. Progression, nature of sin. If you're telling yourself, it's no big deal, it's just my imagination. It's just my fancying. It's not hurting anyone. You are believing a lie of Satan. Lot's story as a warning to us all. And so Abraham, verse twenty seven, went early in the morning. Why is Abraham brought into the scene at this point? Yeah, he's all of chapter 18. Now all of a sudden he's interspersed right here in the middle of chapter and 20, verse 27. He says, looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah and sees the smoke going up. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which the Lord Lot had dwelt. Why is Lot or Abraham interspersed and in, injected into this story right here? Because God is wanting us to know that Lot's deliverance is not due to Lot's faithfulness. Lot's deliverance is due to the faithfulness of an intercessor. You remember, you see that phrase? He remembered Abraham. That was a way of saying Lot escaped because God remembered Abraham and his faithfulness and his prayer. Listen, Lot had a savior. He didn't know who he was at the time as it was going on, but it was Abraham interceding for him. Let me tell you a wonderful news. You have a savior. Sin is. Has punishment, it has a progression, it has a saturation, it has a blindness to it, a stubbornness, but praise God, sin has a Savior who is interceding for us. His name is so much better than the name of Abraham. I am not saved in the name of Abraham. I am saved by the name of Jesus Christ, who is constantly interceding on our behalf. Let me read to you Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. My Savior is one who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, all as a way of paying the penalty for my pride, my selfishness, raised from the dead to say that he conquered my sin, conquered the effects of sin, and has ascended up to the Father, and is now praying for me. Friends, I am not saved from the condemnation of sin because of my faithfulness. I am saved by the condemnation of, of my sin because the faithfulness of a Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his hands that my salvation rests, and it is for you too. He is offering up to you the, the saving effects of Jesus Christ. You have an intercessor. He sees you in your sin and your stubbornness and the progression of the sin. He knows the end results as he knows the beginning. And he says, Let me save you from the end results. I have been given for you. As we keep on reading, we find that sin is duplicated. Sin is duplicated. Lot, he sees what's going on. Notice verse 30. He went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. His two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. Ooh, I had no idea the punishment of sin. And here I am in this place of compromise. Let me get out of this wicked people and let me dwell in a cave. (laughs) That's... Our extreme. Sometimes we deal with sin, and we say, well, we need to live in this world, and, and sin has a part of us and, and affects us. But then the other side is, you know what, I, I just need to get away from this world. Let me get in a cave and set up some monastic life somewhere. And we'll homeschool our kids, and we'll keep them away from everything else. And we'll think, you know what, that'll take care of it. Friends, it will not take care of it. Your circumstances, your location will not take care of it, because sin resides in your heart. And where you go, so does sin. The battle is not waged in your location. It's waged by the grace of Jesus Christ in your life and asking for the spirit of God to work in your life. And so Lot tries to go into a cave somewhere, get away from it all. But notice verse 32, the girls have a strategy. They say, you know what? We don't have any husbands. How will we have children? How will we have a seed? Lot's family is going to die with him. We must do something about it. We must." Have children regardless of what God says. Beware when we tell ourselves and tell God we must have a spouse. We must have a children. We must have a successful career. We must have all these status symbols of wealth regardless of what God says. We must obey God. So children, get the father drunk and they both become pregnant in the drunken state of life. Maybe they were saying to themselves, you know what, it's probably not a good thing that we do this. This is not normal behavior. It's not moral behavior. But, you know, there's sometimes situations that come where we have to jettison the morality. This is practical. Where do they get such things like that, such ideas? Maybe it came when they heard their father outside their door tell the crowd, you know what, this is not normal behavior. I don't usually let my daughters do these things. But you know what, you're about to rape me. You're about to rape my guests. Maybe we'll just jettison the morality because this is extremely practical right now to let you guys take this. Chances are that was probably not the first time these girls heard their fathers do such things and say such things. Sin is duplicated in our children and those that follow us. You need to understand, every generation needs an encounter with the Savior. It's not good enough for them to come on the faith of ourselves. Every generation must encounter Jesus Christ. Because sin is a part of their life. I, I have no more time to talk about these things. But let me just close by sharing a story that Frank and Graham gave. His counselors were involved in Blacksburg. Uh, the, the shootings that occurred over a year ago in Virginia Tech. They said that as the counselors came in. It was still a crime scene. The bodies remained where they were. They had to do so for investigating purposes. But as the day wore on, they started getting cell phone calls. Ringing on the deceased. Folks were calling each other, trying to figure out who was safe and who was not. Where were they at? Asking for assurances of where they were. I said it was an eerie sound. As the night wore on, the cell phone Rings increased, and the pockets, coats, and book bags, sometimes in the very hands of the victims. Phones ringing, people asking, "Are you okay?" For them, it was too late. What you hear this morning is a phone ringing in your soul and your spirit, warning you. Sin has an effect. There is a Savior. Get out of the place of sin and come under the obedience of Jesus Christ as Lord. There is salvation with Him. There may be a day and time when it will be too late to hear the calls of those who care. I simply invite you to repent of your sin. Be ruthless. Do not allow a place of convenience in your spirit for sin but surrender it all to Jesus Christ and ask for his forgiveness let's pray father you-